Good morning, my name's Len, and I'm not Doug, Doug's over there. Okay, and I have the privilege and the joy of uh, bringing God's word to us this morning. I pray that God will use his word to transform all of us. So today is our third study, our third study in the very practical letter of James. Practical in showing us how to become whole disciples. So turn in your Bibles, please, to James chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 19 to 27. James chapter 1, verses 19 to 27. Now, if you need a Bible, there should be one underneath a chair close by, or the verses will be up on the screen. So a CEO was preparing his company for his four-week vacation. He held some meetings with his supervisors to explain what he wanted them to do in his absence. In closing, he instructed them that he would send some letters answering their questions and also giving further instructions about what to do. But after his vacation, when he came back, he found his company in shambles. He called a meeting of the supervisors in which he asked only two questions. Did you get my letters? Second question was, what did you do with them? The supervisors all agreed that they received and appreciated his letters. In fact, they thought they were so well written that they bound them into a binder and studied and discussed them every Wednesday night. The CEO responded in exasperation, but what did you do with them? That's kind of the question before us today. A truism of life is that learning must be applied to be of much use. Study must be followed by sweat reading by response, watching by working, learning by labor. It's important to do as well as hear. And James wants us to know that truism works for becoming a whole disciple also. But we have to admit that there is often a disconnect between what the Bible says and what we do. It's easy to hide sin and disobedience behind a mask of piety. I know I've been a master of the mask myself. Two weeks ago, Wade brilliantly opened our study of the letter of James with the big idea that God brings trials so we can become spiritually whole, whole disciples, mature, gaining the crown of life. Last week, Mark masterfully followed with the big idea that whole disciples follow the path that leads to life rather than the path that leads to death. The big idea for today is whole disciples both receive God's truth and respond to God's truth. In other words, a growing disciple not only learns it, but does it. So let's set the context. And this context comes from a commentary by Zane Hodges. Okay? So it was in that infant fellowship of believers in Jerusalem after the Lord's resurrection that James was nurtured in the early days of his faith eagerly listening to the teaching about Jesus by the original followers of his brother and Lord. Years later, James recalled a large number of the memorable teachings of his brother, such as his Sermon on the Mount, and put them to good use. In that mountaintop message, Jesus' final words that day seemed to have major impact on James. As long as he lived, he he could recall them clearly. Jesus taught that everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who builds his life on the rock. 
everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. Hearing words in this case was not enough. One must do them. Much time had passed, and now James had become a leading figure in the church in Jerusalem with pastoral concerns that stretched far beyond the city. These were difficult times for the followers of Jesus, and trials of all kinds seemed to, seemed to, uh, be, they seemed to be afflicted with them frequently. So the shepherd James sat down to write to his scattered sheep. The words he is inscribed on the papyrus sheet before him were saturated with principles drawn from the teachings of Jesus, especially those from the Sermon on the Mount. How practical James's words were for his readers in their trials. They needed to learn that God brought trials for a good purpose, to make them spiritually whole. But under the pressure of trials and difficulties, they were sometimes tempted to blame God for an un unwanted or, or an inward desire to do evil. After all, he allowed them to have trouble, yet that desire to sin came from the lust in their hearts. While the God they felt like blaming was the very one whose good and perfect gift of new life they had so freely received. But James knew that for these suffering disciples to become whole disciples, they must readjust their relationship to God's word. So after the introduction, he began the main body of his letter, and he wrote these words. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law the law of liberty, he and perseveres, being no hearer who lacks, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he's religious, but does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Let's pray. Dear Father, you are the Father of lights that gives all good gifts, or who gives all good gifts. Father, give us your truth this morning through your words. Enable us to truly receive and become doers of it. Give us transformation into the image of your Son, Jesus, by the power of your Spirit, so that we move toward becoming whole disciples. Amen. So the outline I'm going to follow is this. To take the next step toward becoming whole disciples, we must do two things. One, receive God's truth. That's verses 19 to 21. Second, respond to God's truth. That's verses 22 to 27. So let's dive in. To become a whole disciple, first, we need to receive God's truth. Now, James begins by demonstrating the need for receiving God's truth. Sin is still a struggle. In their case, James points out anger and the tongue. 
In verse 19, James writes, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. The principle James was enunciating was as old as the ancient scriptures on which he had been reared. For instance, Proverbs 14, 19 states, Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. James presented the need in the form of a proverb pointing out a problem that was holding them back from becoming established, perfect, gaining the crown of life, in other words, becoming whole disciples. Perhaps because of the stress they were experiencing, many people were having problems with angry communication. And we've all experienced this in our families, in our culture, and even in our church. So James gives some spiritual advice, a three-step process to help control responding in anger. The three steps are be quick to hear. Second, be slow to speak. Third, be slow to anger. So what does that look like? Well, in the context of becoming whole disciples through trials, don't be angry with God. In stresses or trials, it's easy to question what God is doing and get angry with him. But that is definitely unprofitable when it comes to becoming a whole disciple. Instead, we should be quick to hear, to hear what God thinks. First, get his perspective. Second, be slow to speak our own perspective until we have his perspective. And finally, be slow to get angry with God. Remember that he's the giver of all good things. And we can apply this principle to how we relate to others also, especially in an election year. James's admonition is timely. Now, why be quick to anger, slow to speak, and slow to forgive? Why be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger? Well, James explains in verse 20, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Anger doesn't produce the righteousness of God in our actions, which is at the core of becoming a whole disciple. Discipleship is all about relationships. Relationships involving communication with God and with one another. Becoming whole disciples is a family affair. And angry communication destroys family unity. James pointed to one sin that his audience was struggling with. For us, it may be another sin. No matter where we are, we will always struggle with sin in this life. So what can set us free? God's rescue plan is God's word in the power of God's spirit in the context of God's community. And that is where James goes next, for he teaches receiving God's truth is crucial to becoming whole disciples. James continues in verse 21, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. How do we receive God's truth? Well, it starts with repentance that is real. James exhorted, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. In essence, James calls them to repent, to truly desire to turn from their sin. So one necessary part of receiving God's truth is the preparation of our hearts and minds to be open to his word by having a heart willing to repent. Another aspect of receiving God's word is this, 
reception that is humble. James wrote, receive with meekness, with meekness the implanted word. To receive the word with meekness means that when we read it or hear it taught, we trust it, we, we submit to it, we bow to it, we yield to its authority without argument. And so to receive God's word requires repentance and humble hearts. So what's the result of such repentance? The result is soul-saving or life-saving. As James wrote, such reception is able to save your souls. But what does he mean by save your souls? Most take it to mean eternal salvation from from hell to heaven. But in the context of James, it might mean something a bit different. It could mean, literally, save your life. The phrase could easily be translated, is able to save your life. The Old Testament is full of verses linking obedience to God with length and quality of life. But building on that concept of saving your life in the context of James, it could mean save your life in the sense of making it count by becoming complete, attaining the crown of life, becoming a whole disciple. Now, Jesus taught this when he told his disciples to take up the cross and in the process of losing their life, they could save it. Whatever he meant here, receiving God's word is crucial for becoming what God wants us to be, whole disciples. Well, how can we do a better job of receiving God's truth? Here are some tips. To receive God's truth, receive it in repentance, in humility. You've heard those two already. Okay, now here's some new ones. In notes. That is, take notes on the sermons in your Bible studies. With intention. That is, read and study the Bible with a plan. And with intercession. Pray that we have soft hearts that desire his word and receive it well. John Piper suggests that when we approach God's word, pray these things. Pray for eager hearts that desire to know God's word. Pray for enlightened hearts to see what, it really, what is really there and not our own ideas. And then pray for excited hearts to see God's word as wonderful, as glorious, as precious our greatest treasure. So to become a whole disciple, we must receive God's word, but that is not enough. The big point of the passage is coming up. You see, we have a problem. Often we treat the Bible as if it were a course that we can audit. Have you ever ever audited a course? That's when you are allowed to take a course, go to the classes, but not have to do any of the work. You show up when you feel like it, learn as much as you please, but never feel as as if you have to do anything. Many Christians treat the Bible that way. They read it when they please, soak up the knowledge as they please, and do it if they please. They are what James calls hearers of the word, but not doers. I find it so easy just to audit God's word. So James continues, whole disciples, oh, 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 one thing I forgot, okay. Now the Bible is a unique book. It's not 
a book or a course we can audit. Can't do that. So James continues, whole disciples not only learn God's truth, whole disciples respond to God's truth. They must be doers as well as hearers. It's in verses 22 to 27, the rest of the passage. So James continues. First, he presents the point of his section, which is be doers as well as hearers. In verse 22, James writes, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. What does James mean? Remember the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus said, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. James and Jesus said that we should both hear God's word, but obey it also. Now, perhaps a major problem we have with the Bible is that we have never realized or have forgotten how authoritative God's word is. Now, I bet Moses had no problem understanding the authority of God's word as he stood on that fiery, thunderous, quaking Mount Sinai and God spoke to him. But we don't have a mountain like that. We just have this quiet, unassuming book that we can just set on a shelf and forget. Biblical authority means that God has the supreme right to set the agenda for every area of our life. God doesn't want our rationalizations. He wants our response. He wants us to do what we do when we're driving our cars and come over a hill and we see a police car on the side of the road. This has never happened to me, okay? Now that police car is a symbol of God, uh, of the police officer's authority. So if we're going 80 in a 55 zone, now remember, I've never done this, okay? We don't just say, big deal, so what? It's just a small thing, I don't need to change anything. No, when we see the police car, and we know we are not living right at that point, our hearts start to palpitate when we hit the brake, right? Okay, why? Because we just ran into a legitimate authority that we respect, and then we respond. In other words, the presence of authority creates a response, not just analysis. Having a proper view of the authority of the Bible leads past hearing and analyzing God's word to becoming a doer. So James next shows us a picture of of why it's important to be a doer. Why be a doer? First of all, one is absolutely foolish to ignore the mirror of God's word and not be a doer. James illustrates this with a lesson about the use of a mirror. He writes in verses 23 and 24, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. He looks, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Now, some folks know what this principle is all about. They have a mirror in the bathroom to check their face when they arise. They have a full mirror in the hallway to check their outfit. They have a car mirror to recheck their check after they've been in the elephant elements for a while. They have a bathroom, excuse me, a bathroom mirror at, at their job so they can recheck their recheck. And a hand mirror to recheck as they go through the day. 
Now, these folks know how to use a mirror. And when the mirror shows a problem, they don't forget it. They correct it. And that's how we should be when we use the best mirror of all, God's Word. Now, there are others of us who may notice their face in a mirror as they brush their teeth in the morning. But that's about as far as it goes. And if the mirror shows a problem, they think, it is what it is, and forget about it. Many treat the Bible this way. They read it or hear God's word, but don't apply it. In essence, they forget it. To ignore what the Bible says is especially tragic because of what the Bible shows. Yes, the, the Bible mirror shows our blemishes, our sin, but it also shows our identity in Christ. Note the phrase, he looks at his natural face. Literally, it says the face of his birth. But what birth? The popular understanding is the face of his natural birth, his natural face. But another possible understanding is the face of his spiritual birth, which James had just talked about in verse 18. His identity as a new creation in Jesus. So here's a man who looks at the face of his new spiritual birth, who he is in Jesus, and walks away forgetting what he saw. He forget what the gospel did for him. He forget, forgot his new identity in Jesus. What a hindrance for becoming whole disciples when we, when we see who we are in Christ and, for, and then forget it and live as if we were dead. We were dead in our sin rather than alive in Christ. While it's foolish to look at God's mirror and forget what it shows, one is blessed when he responds to God's perfect mirror. James continues in verse 25. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So the blessed person looks into the perfect law of liberty. And what is that perfect law of liberty? Well, for them, it was the Torah. It was the Old Testament that they had. It was the Old Testament instruction. But there's more for James's readers that makes this law, the Torah, perfect. It was the Old Testament plus the new covenant teachings of Jesus that they heard from the apostles. Now, for us, it's the entire Bible, Old and New Testaments. And what does this perfect law show or do? It sets us free as new creations with the indwelling spirit. We are set free from the sin's bondage. No longer are we, not only are we set free from the penalty of our sin through the cross of Jesus, we are also set free from the power of sin so that we can act like the new creation that we are. And we need God's marvelous mirror of the Bible to show us this and convince us it is true. So the Christian life, becoming whole disciples, is the lifelong deconstruction of the lies we naturally believe about ourselves from growing up in a fallen culture. And it's the reconstruction of the truth through the Bible. Most of the New Testament letters are filled with teaching about the change that occurred to us. And then we see from God's mirror that we were one thing, and because of Jesus, now we're another thing. We were dead, we're now alive. We were in darkness, now we're in the light. We were defined by some lesser story, 
And now we're defined by the truest story in the whole world. And so it sets us free, but the Bible sets us free to become doers. So much so that when Jesus called people to come to him and to take his yoke upon them, he promised that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. But why does his yoke seem so heavy as we still struggle so much with sin and temptation? Perhaps we've forgotten who Jesus is. Dane Ortland in Gentle and Lowly reminds us that Jesus is kind. Jesus is able to sympathize. Jesus deals gently with us. Jesus will never cast us out. Jesus prays for us. Jesus is our never failing friend. Jesus forgives. And he wrote at one point, only as we walk ever deeper into his tender kindness can we live the Christian life as the New Testament calls us to do. Also, maybe we've forgotten that the new, the new covenant resources that are ours. With the radical demands of God comes the radical enabling grace of Jesus. New creation, Holy Spirit power. Or are we just trying to live the Christian life totally on our own? But there's, there's some fine print well, Paul said this. I'm going to say it anyway. Now, not that we are sufficient in ourselves. He wrote this in 2 Corinthians 3. Not that we're sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but the, of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. But there's another side. To this. There's a fine print to this new covenant contract. Maybe you've forgotten this also. The struggle is part of God's plan. The way to this new life is through tr trouble and struggle. James reminded us of that already, that trials are for our growth. And Paul describes his life this way. Forsaken, but not struck down. Struck down, but not perplexed or destroyed. Always caring about the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be also manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our bodies. If we remember these truths, perhaps the yoke would be lighter. We're going to be singing about the joy of new covenant life in one of our later songs. I must decrease he must decrease. That's new covenant life. But not only does the Bible set us free, the Bible leads us on to great blessings. The result of this life is blessedness. James goes on to write in verse 25, he will be blessed in his doing. Now let me summarize what I think James is getting at here. The one who looks intently into the true mirror and gets God's viewpoint on his identity and on his need for daily righteousness in the battle of a sin, and the one who persists in doing God's truth, being a doer and not just a hearer, this one becomes steadfast in trials. This one is blessed and, and is becoming complete, gaining the crown of life, becoming a whole disciple. Don't be deceived. Only those who learn God's truth and then persist in doing gain this particular kind of blessing. Well, James calls us to be doers of the perfect law, but what do doers do? Okay. 
He writes in verses 26 and 27, if, any, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. What he's saying is this, to show, to show true devotion to God, be a doer and not just a hearer. And dear brothers, to be doers, you need to deal with three areas where you are really falling short. And then you list those three hours. He could have mentioned other, other sins, but they were striking particularly for these three things. So what were those three sins? I'm just going to have to just list them off. Sinful communication. He does not bridle his tongue. Lack of compassion. They weren't visiting the orphans and widows in their affliction. And finally, there was bad contact. They were not keeping themselves unstained from the world. But doers do those things. Okay. Well, let's, let's wrap this up. Our culture has a lot of slogans about doing. Can you think of any that include the word do? What are some slogans that revolve around the word do? Any ideas? What's Nike's? Just do it. Okay, what's another one? How about Mountain Dew? What's theirs? Do the do, okay. Any others? Do you, okay. And there's, well, there's a popular one maybe a generation ago, what would Jesus do, okay. Well, so Nike had their slogans, Mountain Dew had their slogans, but James upstaged them all when 2,000 years ago, he wrote on that parchment, be a doer. Now, if James was writing his letter to us today, how would, he answer, how would we answer when he asked us, how are we doing in being a doer? What would he point to in our church where we really need to be better at being doers? Our conversation? Yes. Our compassion? You bet. Our conduct? Sure. We could just read the rest of James' letter, but let's get Paul's perspective from Colossians chapter 3, verses 8 to 17. Now, as you listen to Paul's thoughts, if you trusted Jesus as your Savior from sin, remember that God is with you. Forgiveness is free, and you can't do this alone. The Holy Spirit is in you, and we are all in this together as a family. If you've not trusted Jesus as your Savior from sin, we encourage you to do that this morning. So as I read this, close your eyes and listen and think about being a doer. Here's what Paul wrote in Colossians 3. But now you, you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not, listen to one, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. And I put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And put on as God's chosen ones, holy and blameless, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, 
so you also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. And let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now based on that verse, those verses I just read, now take a minute to talk with God about becoming a better doer. And then I'll pray and we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Well, there's a lot involved in in being a doer. Remember again, God's forgiveness is full. And we're not in this alone. He is walking with us. His spirit is in us. And we are in it together to encourage and walk with each other. So let's pray. Father of lights, giver of all good gifts, enable us by the gifts of your grace and your spirit to become better learners of your word and better doers of it so that we become whole disciples who truly glorify you.